to be worshiping together today. Is that awesome? Good. I just want to thank all of our kids workers, and I'm so thankful for all the kids we have. And uh, yeah, yeah, let's give them a hand. I'm glad you did that because we need two more, all right, right now, two more. If two more people could help, that would really help us out. Uh, and so you, if you can do that, appreciate it. You can just head down there, and uh, we would appreciate you helping. Well, let's jump into Judges. We've been in this book for um, quite a while. We've been looking at um, the book of Judges uh, kind of through and through, and We've been learning some amazing things about ourselves and about our God. Remember, the book, uh, the Bible, is first a mirror that we need to put before ourselves. Oftentimes in our society, in our culture, and even in Christianity, we get a bad rap because someone has experienced someone holding the Bible up to them as a hammer or as a, uh, something to... Uh, point out their own sin when we first need to use the Bible as a mirror to peer into the depths of our own souls and help and ask the Lord to help us see where we're falling short and where we need Him more. And so that's what we've been doing with the book of Judges, using it as a mirror for you and I. And we've been asking some questions, and uh, I hope that you've been writing these down. I think it helps at least me to orient myself to the text and what we need to see for our own lives at the very onset of what we're studying today. And so today is no uh, different, but as we get deeper into the book of Judges, it only gets weirder. It really does. It's odd. It's strange. And so it, it's kind of this thing, God, what are you wanting to say to us in this? This is a really odd story. In fact, this week as I was preparing in my office, I just had to put everything down and walk down the hall, and I just said to Jason and Roger, this is weird. I don't know exactly. I got some ideas. I think I know what the Lord is saying, but can I just say how weird this is and strange? Didn't I do that? Yes. That really happened. But I pray we'll hang in there and ask God to really do something in our hearts each week, even as it gets stranger. And God has been working, hasn't he? Hasn't he been working in our midst? God is uh, changing lives every week. God is moving in a real intangible way, and I just pray uh, that he would continue. And I just want to be a humble servant to be used by him. This is the question for today. What happens when we give ourselves over to something other than God? What happens when we give ourselves over to something other than God? The reason it got weird in Abimelech's life, as who we'll look at today, is because the people of God had given themselves over to everything but God. What do I mean by that? Well, one is that uh, giving yourself over is, is just a, a way to kind of say you are fully giving yourself to that thing. I want to try to explain by talking about worship for a moment. You and I, no matter who we are, no matter how you came into this room today, no, no matter how you're watching online, 
Each and every one of us, whether you are a Christian, uh, a seeker, someone kind of finding, trying to find some answers, or completely off the grid with, when it comes to God, we are all worshipers of something. We have affections for things in our lives that we give ourselves over to. I think that's a good way to describe worship, giving yourself over to something. And it doesn't have to be God or a God or a tangible uh, thing even. Sometimes it's the intangible that we worship. But sometimes it's, it's, it's a person that we give ourselves over to. Sometimes it's an ideal or, or, or a dream or uh, something that we're chasing after that leads us in vain. Worship, simply, the word means worthship, and it really means that we ascribe worth to something. And so that's what I mean by each and every one of us worships someone or something today because we have ascribed worth to that thing. And I pray it's God. I pray today it's God that we've ascribed worth to. We've sang songs about Him. We've seen Him work. We've praised Him. We've clapped. We've prayed but in our hearts we could be giving ourselves over to something else think of worship in the term of in the terms of the marriage covenant and and that idea of covenant that that uh, agreement between two parties to say you're you're mine and I'm yours that that is a great illustration of what uh, worth giving worth to something is, and even in giving it to God. Have you given yourself over to someone or something? Have you given yourself over to Christ and God? And then, if you have, if you have or haven't, you may ask the question: Why? Why should I give myself over to Christ? Why should I worship Him? Why should I give Him worth? Why should I ascribe that to Him and not something else? I hope today that I can give you at least something to think about, something to ponder. But I will say this. He's worthy of it because he's given himself over for you. Jesus, God, sent his only son. He died a cruel death on the cross so that you could know him. He did that you. We're going to look at the story of Abimelech. It's in chapter 9. You can turn your Bibles there. Abimelech is, uh, uh, follows the, what we talked about last week because we were talking about Gideon. And Gideon, we, we looked at last week and kind of looked at, you know, he kind of gets this rap for kind of being this awesome warrior, right? But uh, <laughs> really, he was scared. He was afraid. He didn't want to do it. He, he messed up. And we see in him messing up, how his son, Abimelech, how his story comes out of that, those failures. How Abimelech's life comes out of the failures of Gideon. And we're going to look at that. Uh, some of the things to consider. Uh, in chapter 9, we mostly see Gideon being, being referred to as Jerubabal, right? And so that, mean, that name means he wrestles with Baal. He wrestles with the God Baal, right? And that's 
Uh, we see how that plays out, and that's important that the writer of Judges calls Gideon, whenever he's referenced, or, he, or even Abimelech as the son of Gideon, he's called Jerubbabal. So in this weird story, we see some things about ourselves, I think. Look in chapter 9. I mean, I'm sorry, let's go back to chapter 8 for just a moment and get a little reference. We talked about this last week. We want to begin with a reminder of Gideon's story. Gideon had, uh, had, had, had this great conquest, right? And the Bible says that under Gideon's rule and his reign and under his life, there was peace. There was peace in this area and this time while Gideon was alive. But Gideon made some mistakes too. Even out of his great conquest, everyone said, Gideon, we want you to be king. We want you to rule over us. We want your sons to rule over us. And Gideon said, rightfully, that's not what you need to do. That's not who you need to worship. You need to worship God. The Lord is the one who will rule over you. But in the same breath, in the same moment, we talked about this last week. He says, but while you're at it, bring me some earrings from your conquests. Bring me some gold. Bring me all this. And they brought lots of it, and they put it out, and they ended up smelting it, and he ended up making an idol out of it. Look at what it says here. In Judges 8, beginning in verse 24. Then he said to them, Let me make a request of you. Everyone give me an earring from his plunder. Now the enemy had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. They said, We agree to give them. So they spread out a cloak, and everyone threw an earring from his plunder on it. And the weight of the gold earrings he requested was 43 pounds of gold, in addition to the crescent ornaments and ear pendants, the purple garments on the kings of Midian, and the chains on the necks of their camels. Gideon made an ephod, which is an image, uh, from all of this, and he put it in Ophrah, his hometown, and all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there and became a snare to Gideon and his household. And what we see, what we see from this passage, and we'll look at another one in just a moment, is that the object of our affection will become the object of our worship. Gideon gave lip service to God. No, God should rule over you. But his actions, his affections were somewhere else. He cared about, he cared about these possessions. He cared about making a, an image, a golden image out of it. He cared about something else. And the, where his affection went, his worship went. And where his affection as the perceived and understood leader went, the affection of the nation went in their worship. Look at what happens as soon as Gideon dies. As soon as he dies, verse 33, Judges chapter 8. When Gideon died, the Israelites turned and prostituted themselves by worshiping the Baals and made Baal Barith their god. The Israelites did not remember the Lord their God who had rescued them from the hand of the enemies around them. And they did not show kindness to the house of Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, for all the good he had done for Israel. In one breath, Gideon said, the Lord will rove you. In the next, he said, let's turn our affection toward what we accomplished and let's celebrate that. 
Are we surprised what happened when Gideon died that the way he had directed himself, his life, and even the, uh, where the Israelites were going, are we surprised that they went into this place that they didn't even remember God? They had forgotten him completely. They had thrown off all that they knew and believed. In fact, what we see in that passage there, it says the Israelites turned and prostituted themselves by worshiping the Baals and and, and made Baal Barith their God. That Baal Barith means we have a covenant with him. So they took their promise, remember that relationship, that, that marital covenant, right? That, that marital relationship. We, we make a promise. We make a, a promise to someone else that says, you're it, and I'm yours, and we are each other's, and we will be faithful to one another. They had done that with God, with the God. But as soon as Gideon was dead, they forgot that God and said, no, nah, we like Baal better. He gives us better things. He takes care of whatever they thought they did. And they said, we're going to make our promise with you now. They gave themselves over to something other than God. They not only worshiped, but they made a covenant with this new God. And and what I want to draw our attention to is our own hearts. Remember, the Bible is a mirror. It's easy to say, wow, how could they do that? God did so much for them. But if we look at the mirror and our own, our own reflection in it, I don't know about you, but I can see my own tendencies to forget what God has done and to turn my affections in other places. So I want to ask today, where are your affections where, where are the things that you love? Where do you spend your time? What, what do you do? Where, where, what are those things that you spend the most time and effort on? And I'm not saying that many of those things are probably not bad things. But if they are stealing our affection and our worship away from our God, then they are things that we should not be turning and worshiping. We assume our worship can only affect us, too. I was doing, a, speaking of a wedding contract, a, we, a wedding covenant, I was doing premarital counseling uh, earlier in the week, and I was speaking to a couple that are they're about to get married, and we were talking about, and I always talk about family of origin, and and, and kind of get to know a little bit about their mom and their dad and how they were raised and the things that they are bringing there. And, and if you've been married for any time, you realize you don't just marry your spouse. You marry your spouse's family. You marry all the things that come with that. See, the way we are raised, the things that we do, the experiences that we have in our lives from, from a young age affect us down the line, don't they? And that's the truth here as well. We don't just, uh, how we uh, worship and the things that we have affection toward don't just affect us, but they will affect our kids and our grandkids. You see, Gideon's sins and discrepancies led to Abimelech's outright rebellion. What, God, what Gideon worshiped was amplified in his son. And this is where we must be so careful because kids can't be fooled. And also, kids will tell your secrets, just so you know. 
They can't be fooled, and they will tell your secrets. If you don't know that, just watch a video that we posted this week of my kids talking about us and our... <laughs> Uh, when Jason interviewed them for the podcast, uh, Charlie, they, Jason said, What's, is there anything good about your dad being pastor? And Charlie says, nope. <laughs> and Jason's like, why? He's like, because he gives us spankings, which has nothing to do with me being pastor. But they'll tell, your, they'll tell your secrets, man. But kids aren't fooled either. They know what matters to us, don't they? They know what is most important to us, really. We may say one thing, but they will see what we actually do, where we actually spend our time, how we actually live our lives. And we cannot fool our children. Look where it took Abimelech in, in, in verses 1 through 6. Look at this, what happens in him. So Gideon died. Uh, everyone decided to go worship Baal. And here's Abimelech, his son. Abimelech, son of Jerubbabel, went to Shechem and spoke to his uncles and his mother's whole clan, saying, Please speak in the hearing of all the citizens of Shechem. Just real quick, Shechem was uh, another tribe. It, wasn't, it was part of Manasseh, but it was a, a different tribe than the one that Gideon belonged to. He belonged to the tribe of the Abizarites. Why does that matter? Well, this was uh, one of the many wives that Gideon had, and she happened to be a concubine out of Shechem, and, and uh, Abimelech kind of was in that. And so he's going to all his family members that really aren't the family members of uh, Gideon and, and those other brothers that they have. And it, he says, is it better for you uh, that 70 men, is it better for you that 70 men, all the sons of Jerubal, rule over you, that one man rule over you? What we see is that Gideon was, uh, he had a lot of kids because he, he uh, I guess he had a lot of um, Wealth and time on his hands or whatever. I, you know, four is hard. I can't imagine 70. But he did. Abimelech is just one of those. And he's saying to all his relatives, would you have, rather have one or 70? And remember that I am your own flesh and blood, he says. His mother's relatives spoke all these words about him in the hearing of all the citizens of Shechem. And they were favorable to Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. So they gave him 70 pieces of silver from the temple of Baal Barith. Abimelech used it to hire worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. He went to his father's house in Ophrah and killed his 70 brothers, the son of Jerubbabel, on top of a large stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbabel, survived because he hid. And all the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo gathered together and proceeded to make Abimelech king at the oak of the pillar in Shechem. I told you it was weird. So Abimelech is outright uh, thirsty to be king. In fact, his name literally means my dad's the king. So even though Gideon said, no, 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 I don't want to rule. I don't want my kids to rule. Miss, uh, Miss Shechem, Miss Abimelech's mom said, yeah, right. We got other, we got other ideas here. And I think Abimelech understood that. He was named, my dad's the king. My dad is the, the ruler. And he was thirsty for it in his own life. You see how the desire of one generation amplifies itself into the next and manifests itself in the next generation. He did whatever it took to get what he wanted, and he did not care 
who guide in his way, and he's willing to kill his own brothers in cold, hard uh, murder. How do you go from this man, this timid man in a, in a wine press th threshing wheat, saying, you know, uh, I, I can't do this. There, there's no way. And God says, I'm going to use you. And he does mighty things to his son going to this length and doing this crazy, unreal, weird thing. I say it's in Gideon's affections. It's in his desires. It's in the little things he allowed in that manifest themselves further and farther in the life of his son. We must be careful that what we, where our affection is, where our worship is, where our covenant is with God, our promises to God, carries over into our, the, kid lives, the lives of our kids. One brother got away, Jotham. He gives this rebuke of Abimelech. He goes to the top of a mountain, and, and, and he gives a rebuke to the people of Shechem as well, basically telling that they will eventually turn on one another. And what we see here is this is really different than any of the other uh, cycles of, of leadership under the judges that we've seen. Usually, the people sin against God. God removes his hand. They say, God, we've sinned, and he comes in compassion and frees them. It had gotten so bad between Gideon and Abimelech, they didn't care. They didn't even know God. There's no mention of God. They didn't cry out to God uh, one of their own came in instead of a judge from out uh, or uh, 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 the judgment from a people outside. One of their own, Abimelech, came in and made everything a mockery and changed all these things. And we see Jotham, a parable that he gives, but he barely even mentions God. It's not like he's a prophet that God has raised up to speak against these people. He just is a brother who made it out and said, you guys are going to pay, and God's going to get you, but that's it. He didn't really have much. It wasn't like God, the Lord told me this was, gonna, was what was going to happen. And it just shows us how far they had gotten, how far away from God that they had gotten. They didn't care about God. They didn't care anything about God. They only cared about themselves and doing the things that they wanted to do and doing it in their own way. They did not even care. But God makes it happen just as Jotham predicted, which is fascinating to me. What I think we can see from this is just because we may deny God or we may place our affections somewhere else does not mean that God isn't still God and that he won't be God in our lives and accomplish his purposes still. We can ignore him all we want. We can continue worshiping and putting our affections in our own selves and in the things in our lives and not care. But God is still God, and God will still get the glory in the end, and God will still accomplish his purposes in your life and my life. We cannot ignore him. We cannot shirk him away. We cannot sweep him under the proverbial rug and hope that he, he just, you know, gives us grace and love. He wants our hearts. He wants our lives. He wants our affections. He wants our worship, and he wants us. He wants 
you today, to know Him, to know His love, to know His mercy, to know His grace. How do I know this? What happens next is, is fascinating. Uh, we're, we're, we don't have time to read it all. I'd encourage you to, to do that. But Jotham rebuked Abimelech for slaughtering their brothers. And he mentions in verse uh, 18, Judges 9, 18, And now you have attacked my father's family today, killed his 70 sons on top of a large stone, and made Abimelech the son of the slave woman king over the citizens of Shechem because he is your brother. He's talking to the people of Shechem. So he mentions that rock that was, was there. We see it mentioned before in, uh, on, uh, in verse 6. We see this rock. And oftentimes in the Bible we see the rock is a rock of judgment, a rock of, 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 of decision, a rock of uh, something specific happening in your life, or a rock of remembrance. And so they pointed to this rock that his brothers were murdered on, and we see this rock of judgment. And we see later on in uh, uh, 53, we see that Abimelech eventually dies. So what happens is uh, this man named Gaal, a Shechemite, comes and tries to take over. And so literally what Jotham says is that the Shechemites rise up against Abimelech. Abimelech prevails again and again, but eventually he flees. And uh, what happens is a big rock is thrust onto his head from, from above and it, it injures him to the point of dying and he turns away to his assistant and says because it was a woman who threw the rock on top of his head to, to, kill, to, to lead to his death and he says I don't want to die at the hands of a woman I don't want people knowing that which haha it happened so and everybody knows that reads this book but so you didn't get that but then he says run me through the, spear, or the sword and, and his assistant does it, and he dies at the hand of this rock of judgment. This rock of judgment reminds me of another rock. I think in this story of Abimelech, we are meant to see Abimelech, we're meant to see that we are most represented in Abimelech, that I am most represented in him. Now, I didn't kill my 70 brothers. So I don't have them. I only have four, three. They would probably beat me up anyway. Um, but that's not what I mean. What I mean is that where his heart is, where his affections are, they represent me. Remember, the Bible is a mirror. When I look in this story, what I see is not myself in Jotham. I don't see myself in Gideon when he uh, conquered all the, the, uh, the, uh, the Midianites. I see him hiding away in the, th in the, in the wine press. That's what I see. And then when I see, look in this book, I see, I see me in Abimelech. And I think we're meant to see ourselves most represented in him. We give our whole, we've given our whole selves over to something other than God, and we can forget God and care about things that will only lead us to destruction. But this book reminds me of a, a better rock. Isaiah 28, 16 says this. Therefore, God, the Lord God said, Look, I have laid a stone. In Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation that the one who believes will be unshakable on this rock. You see, 
We don't found ourselves on the rocks of this life. We don't, we don't, worry, uh, we don't have to worry about the rock of judgment uh, coming against us. If we place our lives on a different rock, our lives will be everything they're meant to be, unshakable. Look at what Ephesians 2 says. Ephesians 2 11 through 22. Paul knew about this rock as well. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. What's another way to say that? You were like Abimelech. Called the uncircumcised by those that called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenant of promise, without hope and without God in the world. That was us. That was me. Without hope, without God, without promise, without covenant, without a a God to give my life to, a Gentile, unworthy. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near, what? By the blood of Jesus Christ. For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. God brings peace in our hearts and our lives and he did this so that he might reconcile both both to God in one body through the cross by which he was put to death, uh, put the hostility to death. He came And proclaim the good news of peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For those through him, for through him we have we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you're also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. We stand on a better rock. We stand on Christ Jesus. Where are your affections today? I pray that they are in Christ and what he's done because if you're counting on what you've done what we've done is far off as Paul said but through the blood of Christ we've been brought near to stand on the rock that is Jesus Christ friends maybe you're here today and you don't know that. You don't know what Christ has done. You, you, you look at that story, you're like, I have no problem seeing myself in Abimelech because I know that's me. I know I need rescue. I know I need help. I know I need to be brought near. 
in the rock that is Christ. Today, I pray that God would help you to stand on that rock, that cornerstone that is unshakable. My prayer is that you would listen to whatever God is leading you to today and that he will lead you there. Let me pray if God is moving, you come and follow him as he leads you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Thank you, God, that you are a rock. Jesus, that you brought, bought our redemption, bought, brought us near because of your death, burial, and resurrection. I pray today, God, you'd help somebody to stand on the rock today. You'd lift us up out of the, the, the wallowing that we've done, the the wrestling against or contending with the other gods that we contend with as, as Jerubal means that, to wrestle with all these other things, Lord, that you'd pull us out of that and place us on the rock that is Christ. Move as only you can, Lord. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand? And as you stand, we're going to sing.